0: Welcome to the Strong Men Podcast. So many of us men have got it wrong. In our attempts to be strong, we end up fragile, fake and weak. Our current understanding of what it means to be a strong man is warped. This misunderstanding almost led to my suicide and it continues to contribute towards the high suicide rate seen in men. That's why the Strong Men Podcast is on a mission. A mission to redefine the strong man. To help men grasp true strength and work towards it. Not just to keep them on the planet a little longer, but to help them thrive. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Strong Men podcast. Apologies for the very short hiatus things have just gotten. Very hectic all of a sudden. And part of the reason for that is that I'm actually getting married in just over three weeks time, which is exciting. Um, A bit crazy, but yeah, looking, obviously, looking forward to it nonetheless. And with that in mind, my plan was always to run this first series of the Strong Men podcast and then take a bit of a break. So yeah, we've got a few more episodes coming before that. Um, I might have I might have to push a couple of them and release them after the wedding, but we shall see. But we've got another one coming to you today. And today I've I am lucky enough to be chatting with Fair Nicholson, who is very well known to me. We're good friends, um, having grown up in this small Neighbourhood of Castletown up in Caithness What you'll probably notice in this conversation is that my accent Is probably potentially a little bit thicker than it normally is I would say my, I've got like a a sort of professional voice This is the one that you're hearing at the moment And I've got my Caithness accent too Which is what I normally speak like when I'm not doing things like podcasts or stuff for the business But what happens whenever I'm hanging out with another Caithnesian That accent kind of comes back uh, it gets a lot thicker, and you'll probably notice that in today's um, interview. The The thing that s- stuck out to me most when I was listening back to it was how I say the word charity, charity, um, in case this that, you know, charity, car, garage, gary, mari, I'm getting married, that would be the way you would say it normally. You know, if I'm doing my professional voice, in fact, if you listen back, I probably said I'm getting married. It's not how I'd normally say it. I'm getting married in a few weeks is how I'd normally say it. So it was something that stood out to me. So I was like, if it stands out to me, then it's probably going to stand out to you. So yeah, just thought I'd make you aware of that. But yeah, we had a really good conversation. We're chatting a little bit about Caithness and growing up in that sort of environment. And we talk a lot about sport, in particular football, and that will make sense when you begin to understand Fair's work. We talk about Caithness footy and you know why actually we, we both miss it a lot, there's something that's very special about it and um, I was trying to remember whilst we were chatting if me and Ferra actually ever played in the same team in Caithness. We certainly did down in Edinburgh um, for, for a number of years but I was trying to remember if we both played at Castletown at the same time. I think we might have when I was very, very young but then I moved on um, and played for a different team instead. I know, I'm a bit of a traitor. Didn't play for my local team. Um, Shocking, I know. But anyway, so yeah, we um, we spend a little time, as I say, reflecting on that. But then we talked more about his job. He is a project manager for The Changing Room, which is a initiative that uses the power of football to help men with their mental health. Now I as I say I know Fair pretty well and I've obviously had a lot of time with him chatting to him and that sort of thing but even still in this conversation he was able to introduce some new ideas and bring me to some some new understandings. What stood out most was just the way that he was able to draw the comparisons between football and mental health. Um it was yeah it was really quite something. So yeah, um I'm sure you're really going to enjoy this interview with Fair. I'm not going to do any more chat because um you're probably bored of me by now. So let's get into it. Today on the Strongman podcast, I'm lucky enough to welcome my former uh, next door neighbour, Fair Nicholson. Um, Fair, say hi to everyone and can you just give everyone a little bit of an introduction?
1: Yeah, hi everybody. Um, Good to be with you. I'm Fair Nicholson, um, originally from the far north of Scotland in Caithness, specifically Castletown. um, And I've been down in Edinburgh, kind of on and off since about 2008, uh, working now for Sam H. Married to Siobhan, and uh, yeah, very settled down here, so all good.
0: Nice, yes, I uh, So we both grew up in that little village of Castletown, which nobody's ever heard of. But people drive through Castletown now because of the North Coast Five Hundred, because it's on that one's on that route. Um, but yeah, what was it like for you growing up? You know, ne- knowing next door that across the road you had me living there. You know,
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, when I grew up, I didn't think about that very much that you were always there. <laughs> but uh, I guess, I guess, with hindsight, you know, um, that was the case. I, I think Castletown actually was it was a great place to grow up. I, I really loved the place. I still do. I try and get up north, kind of as much as I can. And <clears throat> I think it's one of those places that you just take it for granted a wee bit when, when you grew up there, you got so much space, you're generally freedom to do kind of whatever you want, you know, we were, we kind of both lived just across from the football pitch, so like, uh, you could go out any time of day, play football, all that sort of stuff, and you know, you, you kind of felt protected in a place like that, you you knew people, you were known, it was just a great place to be, and there's always that part of me, I think, that probably wants to to be back up there, but Life doesn't always work that way, that you get to just choose what's convenient for you. So, um, yeah, but uh, I love, love the North. I'm a big advocate of Caithness, and especially Castleton.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's something that I, I've said before is, like, I don't mind living in, like, the busy cities like Edinburgh, Glasgow, but... You know, after a while of being in the city, it's, I feel like this need to get out to go, like, to the countryside, specifically Caithness, if I can, because obviously that's home. And I do think it obviously ties into mental health side of things. It's like, you know, we, we tend to thrive when we're out and about in nature. So when, we're, like, growing up, as you say, we're outside a lot of the time doing football or different sports or obviously there's beaches and forest walks and all sorts. So uh, and <laughs> I suppose there's less to do, if that makes sense, in terms of, like... you. D- <laughs> There's one cinema, and that cinema wasn't always there. Uh, McDonald's, the closest McDonald's, is two hours away. So you kind of have – you have to find other activities to keep yourself busy. But that was really good as well, in a way. Um, And, yeah, I I totally agree. I miss that.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And, like, it's funny because you mentioned things like the cinema and stuff. Like, I live down – well, just outside of the city now. There's so many cinemas and stuff that I could go to. I couldn't tell you the last time I went to one. Um, You just kind of – you, you did what you were used to back home and also like I think there's a great sporting community up there um, and I've never found that maybe anywhere else that I've been like you know played loads of football growing up in um, badminton as well like there was loads of just community sports and there was a sense of um, belonging in, within that and um, I've kind of always missed that about Caithness, and, and not having that as it's hard to replicate elsewhere for me because that's that's where I grew up and there's that old saying of you bloom where you're planted and I think that's there's definitely a bit of that but you can bloom elsewhere too without getting too flowery.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah definitely I I totally agree like the one thing I miss most I would say about um, Caithness is is probably the football leagues because both of us played quite often and you know it's a summer league it's not like down down south down in the central belt where it tends to be like it runs in line with the normal football calendar throughout the year. Like we have the summer football season, it starts what sort of April and finishes maybe August time. Um, I would, I'd imagine, that, I'm not sure, but I imagine that's just because the weather is so bad over the, the winter that it's not really viable to play um, all year round. But there, yeah, you're right. There was something special about those leagues and the cup competitions as well, like Highland Amateur and that sort of thing, that, that you're right. I've never felt the same kind of enjoyment in football or, or it's maybe not even, the, it's not even enjoyment. It's just, it's, there's something that feels a bit special about it. And you might be well be right, you know, coming, coming from, you know, growing up there, it probably feels a little bit more special than it would, but yeah, there is something about it that um, is different.
1: No, definitely. There's, there's a sense of belonging. If you're playing with your local team or playing with the pals that you grew up with in school, all that sort of stuff, it kind of means a bit more to you, I think. So when I came down here and I played in different teams, it maybe it didn't mean the same to me and so my motivation maybe was never as high as it was when I was back home but um, yeah that's how it goes.
0: Yeah yeah I totally agree. Well fair. thanks very much for coming on to the podcast. Um, You mentioned in your introduction that you work for Sam H. Some listeners might have heard of Sam H before. Um, Do you want to give a little brief introduction to them and what you you do basically as a charity
1: yeah so uh, sam h is the the scottish association for mental health we're at the forefront of a lot of mental health work in scotland we're involved in a whole range of, of different things so you've got community services national programs um we've got kind of sister charities like see me and respect me that, that focus on stigma and bullying um we um, we're actually we're 100 years old this year as an organization which surprises a lot of people because we maybe tend to think of mental health as quite a, a new thing or something we're only just starting to talk about more and more but one of the points i've made uh, this year is that we've had mental health as long as we've had a brain between our ears you know and um that that's not changed just because it was 100 years ago but i think the fact the fact is now we're talking about it a bit more so at samh we're excited about looking back over the past 100 years and how our work has developed, but actually looking ahead to the next 100 and all the kind of possibilities and advancements that there could be going forward. So, great organization to to work with. I've been there about about five years now, and um, well, five and a half years, and really enjoyed it, doing great work, really part of a good team, well supported, and uh, really valued within the organization. So, um, I can't speak highly enough with Sam H., and they continue to, to do really important work. Um, one of the recent things that we did was the, the ask them about suicide campaign. A lot of people might have seen the adverts in the telly, and that had a really kind of powerful impact. And I think, you know, there will be more of that sort of stuff in the future, I would hope. So, yeah.
0: Brilliant, yeah, they, they absolutely, and you guys just, yeah, you're part of it, doing amazing work. Um, I've been lucky enough to, in my own work, you know, I chatted with, I got in touch with Sam H and they were, more than happy to help send over resources and things that I I've actually implemented with a number of my own clients. So yeah, I'm I'm indebted to Sam H two um, for for their work. They've been super helpful. I also I saw it on their Instagram fairly recently. The fact that it's a hundred years old and that it did actually take me by surprise because. Often I kind of think about, you know, mental health support and charity being charities like Samh being a a more recent thing. Because, you know, my impression of it is like mental health wasn't really something that was talked about or understood particularly well a few generations ago. And it's perhaps only just becoming coming to the fore now. But clearly that's that's totally mistaken. I'm totally mistaken in that they have been around for far longer than I, I actually realized.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a common misunderstanding that people have when i i've been doing sessions out and about at different football clubs lately and one of the questions i've been asking is how old do you think sam hr and people generally would say oh, maybe 10 20 30 years or so and actually no they're they're quite taken aback when they think we've been on the go for over 100 well 100 years and you know that's older than the nhs um and it's quite significant when you think of it in those terms and um it was started by uh, a young woman in Paisley, Dr. Kate Fraser, I believe her name was, um, a hundred years ago. For so, for a woman to start a mental health organisation back then, that's really pioneering stuff. And so, I think we want to kind of capture that essence this year, and as we look ahead, let's continue to try and be pioneering when it comes to mental health work, and um, to move forward in a way that's kind of innovative and uh, progressive, but ultimately for the good of the mental health of scotland that's what we're all about so awesome
0: yeah absolutely so my um i'm going to come back to we've chatted about football a little bit and i'm and, and that does tie into your role and i'm going to come back to that in a minute and um, but first i'm interested to know how did you actually end up working in mental health
1: yeah so it wasn't like i'd ever kind of figured out a career path that i was going to take and i, I certainly never thought i would have been working in in mental health but I'd uh, been involved in, in various kind of third sector organisations in Edinburgh, was kind of looking for work that was was meaningful to me and was kind of, I suppose, 33 now, I was about late 20s, 27, 28, I was looking for, for new work and I saw this this opportunity with Sam H um, and it was for a new role called The Changing Room, they were looking for a project manager and I was thinking, well, I'm probably... Probably not qualified for that. I don't have experience in mental health. I hadn't had any management experience at that time. But what I did have was like a real passion for football. And I'd actually always had a bit of an interest in mental health. I'd never, at that time, I'd never connected myself with it in a way. I'd never really, I didn't have much understanding of it. Um, But I was quite interested in it. And actually it was interesting because my granddad, who's in Dundee, he actually had a career in mental health. I didn't realize that until... I ended up getting into this job, that's another story. So anyway, I applied for this job with Sam H. Um, I remember as part of the process, you know, applying for that, there was the opportunity to to call who's now my manager, um, Robert, and have a conversation about the role. So I had that phone call and actually I started to think, oh, this could be something that fits for me because the job was about using the power of football to support men with their mental health and wellbeing. And the one thing that I had on my side was, a passion for football a real kind of desire and understanding about how that was relevant to to people's lives and especially within Scotland like football's an absolutely massive thing um, you can't really avoid it wherever you go so um, and, and that was that was everything to me that was my comfort zone was, was football so uh, I ended up applying and was fortunate enough to to get the job and yeah, ever since then, getting into the job was, has been a, a pretty big learning curve. I had to, to learn a lot. And I mentioned before, though, I was really well supported by, by the team at Sam H. And I guess my mental health journey kind of started to make, make sense once I got into this job and I was able to kind of piece things together and, and uh, learn as we go. So, yeah, it was never never a kind of plan of mine, but this idea of linking football and mental health, I thought they could come together really nicely and it, it seemed to, to do that for me, for sure.
0: Yeah, it is such a great idea. I think uh, when you were talking about how football's such a huge thing in Scotland, I was seeing a stat the other day, which I think, if I'm getting it right, was like, out of all the leagues in Europe, per capita, Scottish football is the most highly supported or something like that. Um, Which, yeah, it really indicates just how much of... Uh, how much influence football has in in this country and yeah the whole uh, the whole concept of of tying football in with mental health is is brilliant because i think for men generally speaking like chatting about your mental health or any conversation that talks about mental health can can be a little off-putting but if under if you put it into the context of like football then all of a sudden it perhaps comes a little bit more accessible to to guys which i think is just yeah really really awesome so am i right in thinking like you were this was you were in charge of this new initiative was the change room a brand new thing and you were to to kind of lead it
1: yeah in, in a sense it was a it was a new project at the time that we'd been given funding for and when I came in, it was it was about developing that, and I worked closely with other people in Sam H to do that, um, absolutely, but it was about developing a project that was going to connect men um, in their middle years, so that's like roughly the ages of 30 to 64, to get support for their for their mental health, and so we got funding from Movembris, you know, the men's health charity that grow moustaches every year. They're huge, and they fund a lot of different projects across the world, and the Change Room was one of them, so Sam H kind of had this idea for the Change Room project that would use um football as the tool to engage men with their mental health and um we partnered with the sbfl trust um and also at the time it was hibernian football club that we launched with initially so hey. um, <laughs> don't worry <laughs> we, we went to hearts not long after so yeah yeah um but no that, that was the kind of concept and then from kind of late 2017 to early 2018, we were planning and developing this idea for how the project was going to look. And it's important to say it was a pilot project to begin with. So we were just testing out uh, what we thought could have an impact. And so within that, we kind of devised a 12 week course um, for guys to come into the stadium and engage and connect with other guys, but also talk about mental health. So we're providing opportunities for them in that. And, you know, we talked about it just briefly there, the, the kind of power of football and what it has. I think for me, one of the things I've realised over the years is that for men in Scotland, the football stadium is one of the few places that they go into on a week to week basis and they'll let out emotion. Right. So whether that's like joy or frustration or anger, like shouting at the ref, shouting at the players, scoring a goal, like how often do you see guys grown men hugging and kissing each other? Like you don't, you don't get that, (laughs) but football can do that. Right. So football is the place where guys let out their emotion, whatever they're feeling, like it's a release for them. And for me, then, it makes sense. Like a pro- so, a project like the changing room can harness that space, that environment where guys are already comfortable, where they've probably had a lifelong connection. Um, so, if you're a Hibs fan or a Hearts fan, like you go to Tynecastle or Easter Road, and you kind of feel at home there. So that's the space where you can be a bit more open, and you can have these conversations. So, for us, the actual environment, the football stadiums, where we are delivering these courses. It became an active player, became a key part in terms of how we're going to get guys to get to a place that they feel they can talk a bit more openly and not have that sense of judgment. So that for me is the power of football and that's what it can do. And I think we've seen that over over the years with the project from its early stages to, to where we are now. So,
0: Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I hadn't actually really reflected on that Um that idea that for some men like that—that that is literally it in terms of you know expressing a lot of these emotions one time a week. But yeah, it, it's funny when you say that as well. There's like one or two people I think of who who do tend to be quite reserved and quite closed off. But then as soon as you get them at the football, they transform into a totally different person. Um, so yeah, it's it's so true. It is that's a really really yeah. good point.
1: And I think we see it as well, like. <laughs> in like actually playing football so the change room project that i manage isn't about guys playing football it's more like coming into the football environment and having these conversations but if you think back to you know when you or me were playing football more regularly you you cross that line onto the pitch and you kind of you let out a whole lot of your personality whether if it's the way you play or just like throwing yourself into tackles or whatever i I was never very good at that to be honest but um (laughs) I like the flower. twinkle toes you were you yeah. were
0: too busy skinning everybody so <laughs> didn't,
1: didn't didn't last like that for long unfortunately but anyway like you know that was the thing so football's got the ability to do that it brings out certain things within you um and it can be a healthy release a lot of the time it can be an unhealthy release but we're trying to capture that idea that you can use football to to open up and talk so
0: yeah uh, yeah again that's that's a a really good point like for me when it was playing football I I did almost feel like I became almost like another person like I would channel my aggression and like in a positive way because it would it would help me kind of go into that tackle a bit harder and win the ball or determined to run track back and and win the ball off the player again or you know if someone kind of leaves the the boot in a little bit on you then (laughs) then you know I'm going to give it back a little bit the next time as well. So you're totally right. It does um, allow you to channel it. Sometimes maybe not in such a healthy way, but yeah, generally speaking, it is definitely a healthy release. I think people get to see a different side of you when you play football, or certainly in my case, I don't know about you. No,
1: definitely
0: so just you talked about the, the change room and saying how it's not actually about playing football. So I was wondering if you could give us a, a bit of insight into what you would actually do with the group of guys that you're working with.
1: The program's a 12-week course. And essentially what we're doing is we're trying to, to journey guys from a space of maybe struggling with their mental health or not talking about it or whatever to a place where they feel they can talk, that they increase a sense of confidence and purpose and, and all that sort of thing. So we do that in quite a informal way we we like the, the the kind of sessions to be relaxed and ultimately it's about the peers you know the guys in the room are what makes the the course work but it's we start relaxed you know we have things like a quiz or a stadium tour a motivational speaker or like you know a guest speaker from the club and these are things that are a going to hopefully attract guys to consider taking part in this course because we know that getting people in the door is actually a challenge because. It takes a lot of courage to, to be able to say, oh, I'm actually struggling, I need to do something about my mental health here, but if I go to this course, what are people going to think of me? What am I going to think of me if I'm saying that I need to, to do something to, because most people don't necessarily think of going to a program to, to manage their health necessarily. So we have to try and make it appealing, people have to want to come in. So part of that appeal is the access to get into different parts of the stadium. We do a session that's a walk and talk, so you're going around the pitch, you're, you're, you're as close to as on the pitch as you can get and you're in that kind of environment that's meaningful to you. We do things like walking football, which just a bit of a laugh to be honest, that's the one session where you're kind of doing some more heavy physical activity if you want to call it that. We have kind of mental health awareness sessions, we do a session that looks solely at stigma we kind of talk about experiences with mental health kind of discussion based sessions but what we're kind of gearing the guys towards is a bit of a self-care plan in the sense of we have a session later in the course which is all about you know building a team of for your well-being how are you going to manage your well-being and putting down that on paper like you'd write down a football team and that's something the guys can take away with them um so the guys are all coming to the course with different experiences and um, different uh, kind of backgrounds. They might actually not necessarily be struggling with their mental health. They might just want to learn more about it. And that's kind of the point. It can be for anyone. It doesn't need to be for someone that's struggling, um, although invariably um, people join because they're wanting to get a bit of support. So, yeah, different experiences inform what each individual will take away from the course. But the the impact of it is that actually you're connecting a bunch of guys in a way that they're talking about mental health. So the football aspect might make it accessible for them or acceptable to come, but generally it's the mental health aspect that's having the impact. You know, the fact that they're they're getting that space to talk, they're being listened to, they're being heard, they're being related to. All these things have an impact. So that's a very kind of brief nutshell of the, the programme, but it's just trying to increase social connections and help guys manage their mental health in a way that's helpful going forward. Because we recognise that twelve weeks is only a, a short period in someone's in someone's life, and actually, after that, it's about how you manage your mental health going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like it's just putting, like you say, that plan in place for them to then go away, and not only you kind of look after themselves, but hopefully have people who are supporting them and in their corner type thing, so to to back them up and and be there for them. So yeah, that's absolutely fantastic, um, and I'm I'm really you know it's awesome to hear that there's stuff like that for guys, um, and that there's funding getting put towards um, schemes and stuff like that that can really really help men and, and support them my next question then i guess would be like through your work what would you say has been the biggest your biggest lesson about mental health
1: yeah i mean difficult to say exactly what the biggest lesson would be i, I was thinking about this and there's a number of things that you, you could say and um i suppose it's what I've learned is that it's, it's helped me learn about, about myself and, and probably my own experience with mental health. And, you know, I came into this job with very little understanding about mental health and no kind of personal connection to it. Now, I would say I'm quite fortunate in that I've probably never received a, a diagnosis of a mental health problem. I've never been at that level where I would say I've had depression or anxiety. But I can definitely look back now and think, hang on, there was times in my life where my mental well-being was really low. And I was probably on a bit of a road at certain times. And that was that was quite an, a powerful thing to kind of grasp, to look back on my own experience and then think, you know, we all have mental health. And just because it's not been really bad for me, it doesn't mean that, you know, that's not possible in the future. And so I have to kind of consider, well, how do I manage my mental health? So when I think back to the time when my well-being was low, it was years and years ago after uni, probably kind of struggling a bit with, like, what direction am I going in? I was in a job that uh, I was rubbish at. I really didn't enjoy it. It wasn't good, and things were beginning to kind of just become a bit meaningless, if you know what I mean. So I I was, like, coming in at the last minute before the shift started. I was kind of, like, football and stuff that I was playing. I wasn't really enjoying it as much. I was kind of just, like, kind of tired and lethargic the whole time. And I remember that, and I think back to that now. And I was like, I remember my manager or a supervisor in that job at the time. She pulled me in one morning, and she's like, "Is everything okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm just tired." And that was all it was. But now I look back and to think that conversation, and actually, she was checking in with me to see, like, how's your mental health? I never connected with that at the time, but I can look back now and think, to the outside eye, I was, I was in, I was in a place where it could look like I was struggling, but I never put two and two together and that was a lack of knowledge and understanding on my part. And I I kinda got out of that. I was fortunate in that, you know, I had good community, good set of pals, I was very well settled in a in a great church. And all these things like impacted like a kind of supportive circle around me. Um but I was able to leave that job and I I went home for the summer, worked for my dad, played football with Castle and all that kind of stuff. And that was like kind of shifted me out of that space. But I often think had I not kind of moved from that space like what was the direction of my mental well-being and was it leading to a place that might have struggled and become a a diagnosis and I guess I'll never know but this job has given me a newfound respect for understanding myself my mental health my mental well-being and actually thinking right there is a degree of like I have to manage this and that's not the same for every individual like circumstances can affect people differently but you know, sometimes we think of mental health as, as maybe just this thing that happens. And, it, and it's more, poor mental health is just something that you're either just unfortunate enough to experience or it just happens to you. But actually, looking back with hindsight, I'm like, now there was a bit of a journey that I was on and I was able to, to change the trajectory of that, fortunately enough. But so, yeah, I guess that's one of the lessons I would take is that, you know, we've all got mental health and um there are things that we can do to manage it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've got a lot of pet peeves, but one of them is when in tragic situations where someone's maybe like died by suicide or something like that, it's like people comment on Facebook and be like, oh, it's a, they had mental health, you know, and referring to that they've had some kind of mental health issue, like maybe depression or or something like that. Because it, it conveys this idea that, you know, people, it's people who have like, depression and anxiety only they are the people that have mental health when the reality is obviously we all have mental health exactly what you're saying but then also to differentiate the difference between mental health and mental well-being like understanding that we have both they're not the same they're connected but they're not exactly the same and then understanding as well that our mental well-being can obviously feed into as you're suggesting potential problems with our our mental health long term so i think that you know that really rings true what you're saying for me as well like i think back to when i was struggling with my own mental health and there were a lot of Things that I were, we're doing, like lifestyle-wise, or there were signs perhaps that things are not going in the right direction here, Chris. So maybe you should take an opportunity to address things. It's obviously difficult when you're struggling to do that, but um, yeah, you're quite right. There are there are things in like terms of lifestyle or uh, just choices, I suppose, that can definitely contribute towards poor mental health or or, you know good mental health that's not to obviously downplay the seriousness of of someone who's struggling you know like i say in that situation it can be really difficult to to make those positive steps but there's definitely things that can be done to as you say change the trajectory
1: no absolutely and i think it's important to you know point like like not everybody's experience is going to be the same so um there there may be experiences that people have that they don't really feel they have a sense of control over it as well and it's not a case of just going for a walk and doing a f- few things that will just make you feel better but in my experience it was like this is what I could have done and this was what is affecting me so yeah it it's it's kind of important that we recognize but again for me it just comes back to the fact that I actually wasn't educated I wasn't I didn't have an understanding about it and so as time's gone by and my understanding has developed and by the way it can continue to develop you don't just reach a point where you feel that you, you know everything you need to know like that's not how it works but you know by continuing to to kind of develop and grow in that sense um that that's that can have a positive impact in the longer term for me so yeah but that's one lesson there's other lessons in terms of what what the work has kind of taught me it's actually i think a big thing with mental health in terms of if you're wanting to support people or kind of be there for people you know, to use a kind of football analogy, it's like people people say football, it's um, it's an easy game if you do the simple stuff well type thing. You know, there's that kind of idea that don't, don't complicate it. And I think if you're looking to support people with mental health, like do the basic things well, be there for them, listen to them, talk to them, ask them how they're doing, ask them like, is there anything practically I can do to help? These are all fairly simple things. And that's all within our gift to do that and that, that's what we should try and do do the simple things well care for people well be there for them um and i guess the challenge with that is that sometimes we think if we do that we fix people's situations that's not necessarily something we can control we can't fix someone's mental health just like that but it's about doing the simple things well in terms of being there for people that that's the kind of other thing i've tried to take away from it and not not expecting myself to 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 be responsible for how someone else is feeling, as such.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Some really good points. I do think it is the case. Like, I—I'll be honest. I'm one of these people that automatically goes into fixer mode. So, if somebody comes to me and says, like, I'm really struggling in this way and that way, or here's a situation that I'm—I don't know how to to deal with. Like, my approach is uh, often automatically is like, oh, I want to to fix things. So, here's a solution. Here's what we're going to do. Here, this. Uh, have you tried this? but more often than not that's not going to be helpful for that person and as you say just doing the simple stuff such as right well what practical support can i give you and putting it back not putting it on them but asking them like what do you need from me and sometimes even less than that like just not even saying anything just actually giving them that space to to listen and get it off their chest even ask the person straight up like do you want my advice here or do you want me just to listen and just giving them the option to ensure that you're supporting them and what they need in that moment? I think, uh, yeah, that sort of stuff can be be really, really helpful
1: for supporting people with their mental health. That's a really good point, actually, because I think it's kind of important that we recognise people aren't necessarily looking for us to fix them. You know what I mean? Sometimes they just want to be heard. Sometimes they just want to be listened to. And I think having someone say this is what you need to do—it's not always the right thing for them. But but actually framing it in that way you've just said of like asking them, do you want some advice? Do you want just to be there and talk like that's 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 being supportive and that that's anyone can do that. You know,
0: absolutely, absolutely. You've obviously worked um, with men closely for a number of years now. So in that experience, what have been the most common issues that you've seen men struggle with? The big one
1: is like, obviously, diagnosis of depression or anxiety. If you want to like, you know, have a kind of, that, that's the kind of category you'd put it in. But I think to kind of delve into that, what are the things that guys struggle with? I think they often struggle with things like identity, that kind of sense of what's my role, what's my expectation. Um, I think culturally, we live in a place where men are expected still to be, maybe not still, Historically, we've been expected to be the breadwinner, the provider, all that sort of stuff. And I think there's a bit, there's been a bit of a lasting impact on on, on guys in terms of how they, they feel about themselves. Because if society says, this is what you're meant to be, and they don't necessarily feel that that's what they're being, I think that can lead to questions internally that are maybe quite hard to deal with. And because we, we live maybe in a place where historically guys haven't been encouraged to open up and talk about what's on the inside, then that means when they're facing these issues and they don't talk about them, it just kind of builds up. And so I think that's partly some of the issues that guys have faced, questions about identity and and purpose. Um, And that's kind of stuff that we, we look at a bit within the course. Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to the kind of society we've grown up in, the expectations placed upon guys and trying to be this kind of stoic character that's got everything even, even if guys aren't stoic and they're quite lively and like outgoing and stuff like that, there's maybe this expectation that we have to have everything together and that's what we've got to present to people. And nobody's really got everything together perfectly, do they? So it's more important that we, we, we allow guys to, to kind of talk about these things in a way that they can then start to process them and deal with them. And what's good about the work that I've been involved in is when you bring guys together that are maybe struggling with these sort of same things but in in maybe slightly different ways then that's when they really connect and i think there's also a problem and for for men particularly about kind of meaningful relationships or friendships so if that's something that's absent like we're i think as beings that we're designed to commune with other people We're, we're meant to be together we're not meant to be on our own isolated and so if kind of meaningful friendships are only surface level I think that maybe has a longer term impact and it affects our ability to communicate well with people. And if we're not communicating well, then I think that's, that's when we start to experience problems.
0: Yeah. I, um I think the social side of it is just so important and it's not just for men, as you say, for, for us as humans, it's something that we need and the impact like there's studies to show that loneliness can reduce your life expectancy, like chronic loneliness, um, because that's just how big an impact that socializing and, and finding these good solid relationships that's how much of an impact that can have on our health um, not just our mental health but our, our health more generally and for me again that was another huge thing like I when I was struggling with my mental health like isolation became quite normal and actually it was breaking out of that isolation and and becoming more social and deepening relationships with people that really really went went a long long way i don't know if you've had any experience with that yourself you know any reflections on that difficult period in your life and um how the social side really kind of kind of came to the fore was a really important part of um changing that trajectory as you talked about
1: yeah i don't know i think i've always been quite fortunate in in that i feel I've, i've had good people around me and um although in a lot of ways i'm quite a a quiet uh, and shy guy I'm not I'm not the first guy to go up and speak to someone at all I probably do Siobhan tells me I'm extroverted and that I get my energy from being around other people so I think that's always been quite an important thing for me that if there's an opportunity to go out and see people and do something that are my mates like I'll, I'll definitely try and do that and so we know that in terms of like the five ways to better mental health the first one that's often on the list is connecting and like actually connecting with people but you're right because when i think when people do struggle with their mental health the tendency is just to i don't want to kind of deal with people you isolate yourselves you push them away and yeah that that's a temptation and i think it, i think it's something we have to really push against when we're not feeling that sense of our desire to go out and, and speak with people but it's, it's tough going it's not easy when when you're in that place
0: we're going to kind of come to a close shortly, but I've got a couple of other questions that I'd ask you. And this is more like practical advice for, for people that are listening. The first question really is, what advice would you give to men who are, are finding themselves in that really tough place right now?
1: It's it's the simple one, and I guess people probably know the answer, but it's, it's to talk, to, to reach out to someone, whether that's trusted fr- friends or family or, or your GP. Because... You know, a lot of people have not great relationships with their doctor, or their GP, and we know there's issues around it, it can be difficult to get an appointment. Um, but ultimately, they are there to help. And whether they might not file, they might not have the answers, a GP, they can maybe signpost you to something that, that will help. And um, so we would always encourage you to, to speak to someone and that, that could be your GP, friends and family. But I suppose actually, as I talk and think about this, going back, even before you, you speak to someone. I think one of the challenges that is actually to, to face up to what it is you're feeling and to address that and to not bury your head in the sand. Because I think we've got this kind of old mantra of, like, keep calm and, what was it, keep calm and get on with it. Keep calm and like carry on. Yeah. Carry on. Keep calm and get on. <laughs> um, you know, that that's our kind of thing. And while that was helpful for the context uh, that we were in when that phrase came about, to, to not address what, what you're feeling is quite a dangerous thing. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the first things you can do, actually be honest with yourself about how you're feeling and to say, you know what, I'm struggling. And a number of guys that I've spoken to over the years with regards to their mental health, one of the things they've said, like, speaking about your mental health is one of the hard th- hardest things you can do, yeah, but it's also one of the best things you can do. And so what that kind of tells me is that there's there's a fear connected to actually talking and speaking about it for the first time and overcoming that fear can actually be more scary than the actual reality of speaking to someone for the first time and you you know the amount of people have said when they do speak to someone about their mental health it's like a weight off their shoulder that that's really really important that we we're doing that I think tied into that as well is the need to create spaces where you can have that conversation I don't mean physical spaces but actual create a culture where guys feel comfortable that they can speak so that's why we know that the football and stadium environment works for mental health because we're creating a space where they feel they can be open and to do that you know you need to be non-judgmental you need to be willing to listen and you need to be uh, willing to to try and understand what someone's going through so yeah those are just a few things that come to come to mind
0: yeah yeah absolutely great advice and thanks for thanks for sharing all of that i i really liked how actually you started off with like talk because yeah that is often the normal the, the the sort of standard response i guess is like talk and that's obviously great advice but i liked how you kind of then reflected on it, it was like well actually no for for a lot of guys actually it it goes further than that we, there's a step before that where we do have to recognize yeah things aren't the way they should be at the moment and there is a problem here i do think there is a lot of uh, that stereotype that you mentioned where we are seen as or meant to, or see ourselves almost as this strong almost invincible type character who is immune to any kind of uh, problem and that's therefore the um the image we like to portray to people but uh yeah the, and it's hard then if you're in that mindset to accept like well actually no i'm not I'm not this strong this strong in um co- in, inverted what what is that called again quotations <laughs> in quotations yeah I am not that strong um man that I thought I was but I, actually what you're doing in it and recognizing that you have problems and actually there's things that you want to address is you are showing a lot of strength and then you're showing even more strength to speak to someone about it because yeah it is difficult and fear does tend to hold a lot of people back from from opening up so that's some really excellent points on that yeah just on the topic of talking you also mentioned how the guys find that or feel more supported or find it perhaps easier to talk about when they have like a common issue or common ground or or that sort of thing and i think um that's also very true like i remember again in my own experience like finding someone who got it because at that stage you kind of felt like you were the only person and i can really relate to that idea of just almost feeling free to talk about it because you knew the other person who was listening to you was going to understand because they've been been there themselves or or are going through exactly the same things that you're going through at the same
1: time so yeah Totally, and you know, one of my, one of my colleagues, um, when he came into his role, yeah, we were talking about things, and, and he was quite open about, ah, uh, mental health and his experiences. But he put it so well, in that one of the reasons, like the kind of change room works, is that you know you're bringing people together with different experiences but similar emotions or similar feelings, and that's what helps them connect. And then when they, ha- they hear other people's experiences that kind of helps them look at things from a different perspective too, you know. One of the the easiest things to do for someone that's struggling with their mental health is to think, I'm the only one in this situation and, um, you know, nobody is going through what I'm going through. And I guess that can be true at some level, but ultimately, it's really important that people know you're not alone, you know. There are plenty of people out there that are struggling with similar issues that are going through similar things, and there's something quite empowering for the guys from like a change room perspective when they come into the project then they meet other guys that are going through similar things that have kind of walked similar paths it's um again it connects you to people and that's that's so important for our mental health is to feel connected to kind of to be part of something
0: yeah i guess that can be a, a helpful point of view as well to think like in talking about the, the the issues that i've got ongoing at the moment not only am i helping myself but i'm actually helping other people to to recognize exactly that that they're not the only person who's struggling uh, and, and struggling with those specific issues so yeah uh, that's awesome so just to wrap up the interview i i'm always finishing by asking the guests the same question and um, it's been really interesting. I've had the same same answer come up a few times, which is absolutely fine. Um, but it really it does indicate, you know, what strength actually looks like. So the question is, what one word would you use to describe a strong man and why?
1: Yeah, there's a number of words you could use. I think the one that I'll go with just now is like bravery or being brave you know is that the one that people have been saying
0: no I, that's i think that's the first one i think well we've had courage which i suppose is kind of similar but yeah yeah i think that might be our
1: first so no i was thinking about this and reflecting on like my work and for any guy that comes into the changing room project um that takes a great deal of bravery you have to be willing to put yourself out there to kind of be a bit vulnerable vulnerable would be another word you could use because yeah, that's actually a strength to put yourself out of your comfort zone. Se- comfort zone. But yeah, that idea of being brave is so the reason the project works, or has worked to date, is because there's been a bunch of brave guys across the country that have been willing to go into a room and speak about their mental health. Yeah, and that you know, for some guys, that takes weeks to reach that point. Um, but that that's what makes it work. The project's only as good as the guys that take part. And thankfully, we've had a lot of great guys that have been involved. And to to link in with the football term, you know, we often think of bravery in a football match as, like, throwing yourself into a 50-50, like uh, going for tackles where you know there's a risk of getting hurt. And there's, that is bravery, yeah, don't get me wrong. But people will often say as well, bravery on the football pitch is, like, being willing to take the ball in a difficult position, being willing to, to take the ball and make a mistake, trying something... It's going to potentially create a chance, uh, but there's a risk that goes with that, and I think that's that's relevant to this idea of strength, being brave when it comes to your mental health. Be brave, like take a risk, talk to someone, um, don't bury your head in the sand, address what it is that you're dealing with, um, take a chance, and be positive. You know, being brave on the ball in football is about being positive and taking chances, and I think that applies in mental health and uh, in life as well brilliant yeah that's that's a
0: really really good way to to end the interview and um, i'm sure that will have left an impression on on people who are listening so yeah thanks for that and I've, I've really really enjoyed the the conversation specifically just how football and mental health have connected you've helped me kind of see it in in a way that you know for somebody who loves football and has played quite a lot of it you're kind of helping to connect the two together in a way which i hadn't hadn't considered before which is is awesome and testament to why the changing room really is effective and and helps a lot of people so yeah just to to finish um well firstly like i say thanks for coming on and and sharing a wee bit but i was just wondering if you could let people know if they were to what if they wanted to know a little bit more about sam h or the changing room or how to get involved with uh, initiatives like that how might they they do that
1: where would they go Yeah, I guess the easiest way is to to go online, uh, samh.org.uk, within the website, there's heaps of stuff, it's a really good website with information about mental health, about how to support people, about how to deal with certain challenges and so on, but also within that we've got um, a space for physical activity and sport, which is the department that my work comes under, and within that you'll find information about the changing room there you can use the referral form uh, that we've got on the website to kind of sign up and you can see the different clubs that are connected with us that um, will hopefully be running the, the change room at different stages over the next year or so. So, um, yeah, samh.org.uk, have a look around there and you'll, you'll no doubt find uh, what it is you need.
0: Amazing. Fair. Thanks very much for your, your time and for your insight. It's uh, It's been really good. And, uh, yeah, take care.
1: Nice one, man. Thanks.
0: You might be thinking, Fair, hmm, I've never heard of that name before, it's it's quite unique. Well, um, just to clarify, that is a nickname for Christopher, Christopher fair Fair, which was obviously quite helpful growing up because, you know, if someone shouts Chris then I turn around and he turns around at the same time, you know, complicated, so yeah, a good way of differentiating the Christophers. Also, I'd like to, just to point out, that is the second Christopher we've had in a row. This is just a podcast full of Christophers. So, if you are listening right now and your name is Christopher, then you're very welcome to come on the show. And You don't have to have any expertise at all in, in, in terms of mental health or anything like that. Just, yeah, just the fact that you are Christopher means that you are you're top of the list. So, yeah, get in touch. You can do so by emailing me at tsm at the let me try that again. TSM at the wellbeingpt.com. We're going to move on now to the segment of the show that is designed to give your brain a break rather than break your brain. That's right, it's the brain break. And last week we were, not last week, because it's been almost a month since this, this last type of episode. Last time I posed to you the question if you had to break a world record, what would it be? So I got a response from Colin who suggested that he could attempt to memorise the most, the record for memorising the most song lyrics. Now, I'm actually quite confident this would be a doable record for Colin um, because, yeah, he's got one of these types of brains. He hears a song once and he basically knows all the words. It's, It's quite something. Out of interest, I just went online to have a look to see if there's any kind of record that currently exists along those lines. And just in case you're interested, Mr. Himanshu Punjabi from India currently holds the record for the largest number of songs memorized and sung in live shows, and he did, he's done over two hundred. So like. On face value, 200 doesn't seem like that much, but actually when you think about it, let's say, uh, let me get the calculator up here right, so let's say average song length, three minutes, uh, 200 songs, that's 600 minutes of songs, which is like, yeah, 10 hours worth of lyrics, so, yeah, that's that's quite a lot. Uh, also, that's my math done on the spot, please don't laugh if I've got that hilariously wrong, um, it is very possible, but uh, yeah, that is actually a lot. To, to try and memorise. But best of luck to you. I would love to see you smash that record. Having come across Mr Punjabi's lyric record, I ended up going down a bit of a rabbit hole um, and ended up on an article titled 60 of the weirdest Guinness World Records you probably don't know exist. Now, I'm not going to go through all 60, but I've whittled it down to the top five records, the top five most random records. So the first world record, and this isn't something, I guess, that... um was intentionally achieved. But it is the longest attack of hiccups. It doesn't take a lot of effort, really, because, I mean, it's whether within your control. But Charles Osborne started hiccuping in 1922, and those hiccups, that attack of hiccups, only ended in 1990. I'm laughing, but that is not funny. That would be absolutely horrendous. 68 years of hiccups. Oh, man. I can't imagine anything worse. Well, I mean, I can, but... Yeah, you know what I mean. That would have just been brutal. And for me, I get weirdly... I get like these sharp pains across my chest when I I start getting hiccups initially. The, 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 pain, the pains do subside. And don't worry, I'm not having a heart attack. I've had it checked. I'm all good. But yeah, I mean, even without pain, that would have been brutal for, for Mr. Charles. Obviously, this these hiccups initially started in 1922, so I'm assuming Charles is no longer with us. Um, but if he is and if he's listening, can I just say... Charles I really admire you for for managing to put up with 68 years of hiccups that would have been brutal to say the least moving on to the next one number two the fastest time to type using the nose that's held by davinder Singh he typed 103 characters on a keyboard using only only his nose and he did that in 40 seconds now I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming that what he typed had to actually make sense because I feel like if it didn't all, all you would have to do is, like, smash your face off the keyboard a few times, like, ten seconds. Oh, look, I've typed a thousand characters. Like, I don't know what would possess you to be like, you know what, today I'm just going to type something with my nose. And then eventually get to the point where, you're like, I'm so good at this that I'm going to set a, set a record. But, you know, each their own. Number three, most apples held in the mouth and cut in half by a chainsaw in one minute. Wang Li... Chainsawed twenty-five apples from the mouth of Wang Xinli in one minute. Now, I've I've seen a few creative ways of cutting apples, you know, to try not to waste too much and get the most out of your apple. But this is a pretty novel way of slicing apples up. I'll definitely give that give that a try at some stage. Um, Abby, can you get the chainsaw? Number four, the furthest eyeball pop. I've seen a picture of this and it, it really does haunt my nightmares. In 2007, Kim Goodman managed to pop her eyeballs to a protrusion of 12 millimetres, so that's almost half an inch, beyond her eye sockets. Which, yeah, as I say, lovely. I certainly wouldn't recommend Googling it, but yeah, it's quite something, I suppose, you know. Um, it's not something you see every day. I guess, which is a is a good thing. It's a really good thing. And lastly, number five. This one confused me a lot. Most consecutive pogo stick jumps with no feet. So firstly, I thought, like, was this guy an amputee? Is, is that what it means by no feet? And then I googled him, and he, it looks like he's got feet. Now, I recognise that, that could be prosthetics, but then technically, you still have feet. So then I was like, right, he must have been doing it like upside down, using only his hands, uh, like basically in a handstand, whilst doing his, his pogo stick jumps, and then <laughs> I stupidly thought, well, maybe it means like removing the pogo stick feet, but pogo sticks don't don't have feet, I don't think. So what I'm assuming is that he was pogo sticking upside down um, and completed a consecutive number of jumps, which again is ridiculous and very impressive, and I want, and similarly to the. The typing character for your nose. I don't know how you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I'm going to just try and pogo stick upside down and make a record out of it, but each to their own, each their own. And that was a guy called Fred... Oh, I'm going to butcher this as a I've like butchered the other ones. Fred Grisbowski. Fred Fred Grisbowski from America, who did um, 117 jumps, which is crazy. So big shout out to, to Fred Grisbowski for that one. So that was last episode's Brain Break topic, that means now it's time to set a topic for next week, not next week, next episode, I need to stop saying that, next episode's Brain Break. And the context for this one is that last week myself and Abby went to look at a little puppy, a little silky Greyhound puppy, and it was beautiful and it was so gentle and nice and oh, just such a nice dog. However, very sadly, we decided, and and sensibly, (laughs) as much as, you know, my my heart was telling me to go for it, my head was being sensible uh, and logical about things, which is a first. (laughs) We decided it was not the right time to get the dog, so we said no in the meantime. At some stage, though, we will definitely be getting a dog, no doubt. But that is served as an inspiration for this week's Brain Break topic which is, if you could have any animal as a pet which animal would you choose and why? Now, don't worry about like this animal being aggressive or killing you or biting your balls or whatever This animal, and it can be any animal has been tamed to the point where it's no longer a risk to you or anyone So you can pick whatever animal you like So, which animal would you pick? and why please get in touch with your suggestions i'll be putting a poll up on my instagram in the coming days so you can get involved in the brain break Uh, alternatively as i say you can get in contact with the show by emailing me once again that's tsm at thewellbeingpt.com just to finish off we as always are going to give you a little bit of an update on the Strong Men group. This is a group that is based in Edinburgh at the moment and it's a group that's focused on helping guys improve both their physical and mental strength and something that's become very very clear to me and as we were reflecting on in the interview with Fair, is the importance of the social connections that we have with others and this is where Thrive comes into play. So Thrive is our monthly online meetups. So we jump on a video call and we very simply start things off by just having a bit of a chat. Everyone has an opportunity to just, you know, talk through the everyday mundane things of life but there's also space there if there's things that are on guys' minds or things that they want to get off their chest, there's opportunity to do that. Now, what's really stood out for me is, you know, when I started The Strong Men and I started doing these Thrive sessions, it was very much, my my thought process behind it was very much like, I'm going to lead and facilitate these conversations. You know, if uh, conversations are a bit slow, then I've got some self-help or self-development type um, presentations that I can run through to really help the guys out with their sort of mental fitness and their mental health. But do you know what? I have learned so much myself from listening to what these guys have had to say. Just building that connection and and having that space to learn off each other and grow has been amazing, not just for the guys in the group, but for me as well. And I really didn't expect that. Like I say, I thought it would be slightly distanced from the rest of the group in that regard and and sort of the leader, I suppose. So we've got another Thrive event happening today, actually, the day of recording, which is the 3rd, Monday, the 3rd of July. I'm really looking forward to that. Now, last Thrive, I actually had a self-development presentation ready to go. But, you know, the way that the Thrive turned out, it was better that I just put that on the back burner because we had a guy in the group who was having a really tough time. So we used the, we utilized that full hour and a half, I think it was in the end, just to to talk to him and, and to allow him to speak about what was going on. And in that moment, there was a realization of, you know what, this is exactly what I wanted this group to, to be. This is exactly what I wanted it to do to, to help guys talk about stuff that they perhaps wouldn't have an opportunity to talk about you know with anyone else so that was a really really nice moment and I'm really seeing the benefit not just personally in having these Thrive sessions but I'm seeing it reflected in the the guys in the group as well which is is really amazing. Now as I mentioned at the start of the show I am taking a little bit of a break from the podcast and I will also be taking a short break with the group stuff over the summer, and the reason for that is not just because I'm busy, but I also want to take stock off the group at the moment to consider feedback from the members and maybe adapt and change things a little bit so that I can support guys even more with their health and fitness. But if you want to keep up to the, with the latest on the strongman group, then you need to make sure to follow me on social media. I'm at the Wellbeing PT, and obviously. Follow the podcast, listen to the upcoming episodes, you'll be kept in the loop about what's happening and if you've got any questions or if you'd like to get involved now or in the future, then do just get in touch with me. I don't bite often and I'm more than happy to help you with any queries or or questions you might have. Lastly, if you'd like to support the podcast, the best thing you can do for me right now is to leave me a review so wherever you're getting this podcast whether it's Spotify, Apple Music or something else just take your phone out jump on the the app and leave me a review it goes such a long way to helping the, the podcast get a little bit of visibility if you'd like to go further and support the work of this podcast, then you can actually donate as well. You'll find a link in the episode description. There's no pressure on my part to do so, but if you do feel so inclined to, to give a little bit and support the work to help guys improve, then feel free to do so. Thanks so much for your ongoing support. I've received a lot of kind words from people over the months um, and as these episodes are coming out, and getting a lot of good feedback as well. I'm going to tie things up there for this week, but keep... Your eyes peeled for more episodes coming over the next couple of weeks. But until then, take good care of yourself.